Um, but we did grow from like a million dollars in ARR to $60 million in ARR in the span of about six months. It was like hyper growth, like many, like, you know, uh, among the top 1% of all uh, growing companies ever. Welcome to the Hyper Engage podcast. We are so happy to have you along our journey. Here, we uncover bits of knowledge from some of the greatest minds in tech. We unearth the hows, whys, and whats that drive the tech of today. Welcome to the movement. Hey, greetings, everybody. This is Adil from Hyper Engage podcast. I have my co-host, Taylor Kenderson, and a very, very special guest, much awaited. This conversation, John Gleason, we finally got it here. Thank you, John, for taking the time. Oh, thank you for bearing with me as we've uh, scheduled two very complicated schedules. I'm stoked to be here. This is going to be awesome, Taylor. Dale, this is great. Absolutely. Let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a bit of background on Joan. Uh, you know, formerly he is, uh, has been a part of uh, Motive team at Motive. I'm sure you guys are living for a lot less if you don't know what Motive have done over the past four to five years in the trucking industry, like one of the fastest growing companies in the past decade or so. And he was leading the customer success team with a, uh, like a bunch of 150 people over, over this span of four, five and a half years. Uh, prior to that, he was a part of uh, Affinio back in 2013 to 2017 uh, period. He joined as, uh, as uh, somebody that was working closely with the, with the founding team on sales and then with the product team and then ended up having a VP uh, of CS role once until they hired the first head of sales. So a bit of knowledge that I have about John, I'm sure we'll uncover more of it. Uh, Taylor would, would start with, with the first segment. Awesome. John. Cool. We gotta, we have to unpack this. You're, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur, like when back when you were a kid, you were selling bikes on eBay, I heard uh, before there was PayPal, which is very interesting, really interested how that happened, where you uh, asking people to send you cash in the mail um, and, and how that whole journey, uh, you know, transpired. But then you, 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 you understand you're passionate about business, you you go into an MBA program and while you're at this MBA program, you're starting, you start this hockey school and then it actually takes off and the success of it gives you a little leeway to kind of go in a really different direction than what you had planned out for yourself going on this MBA course. You decided to take a year long surf adventure and I'm really curious to unpack what were some of these key takeaways that you took in your entrepreneur journey and then through this surf journey and then how it led you to kind of getting back into business, but not on the MBA path on some path different. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Taylor, you really did your homework. You know, the whole backstory. Um, but yeah, uh, I started selling stuff on the internet when I was like, you know, just, just when in the early, early days, um, you know, while PayPal was like still getting going, um, and yeah, you actually had to send, it was called cash on delivery. And so how it would work is you would sell something, you'd find somebody in a chat group or you'd find somebody uh, online, you would sell them something and then you would, you would like pray, you would send off whatever it was, you know, wherever it was going in the world. And then like two weeks later, when it got delivered to them, uh, you, you'd get a check. So they would sign and and the check would come to you. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the olden days. Um, but fast forward. Yeah. I've always loved, I've always been able to, you know, find an angle to build a business and something I've always liked, um, creating something. 
out of nothing. Um, and kind of like you, we're both athletes, right? You played uh, uh, softball in college. And when that was all over or when that was kind of winding down, um, I actually started this hockey school and that snowballed out of control because um, we had a really unique product. Fast forward, go to my MBA, uh, we're in the MBA and actually my MBA wasn't in the place where the hockey school was running. Um, so coincidentally at the same time, uh, the Tim Ferriss uh, four hour work week was like the most popular book going, right? And I thought, okay, if you know, I can run this hockey school remotely while I'm you know, doing my MBA, probably run it remotely from anywhere in the world. Um, so that's what we did. We went around the world on a surf trip and uh, ran the business remotely and surfed all these different waves that I'd always dreamed of surfing. Came back uh, to school after taking a year off um, from my MBA to do this around the world surf trip. And you're going to get like quite a reputation if you're the person who drops out of their MBA to go on uh, around the world surf trip. Um, but I think that's maybe the first learning is it's important to actually um, you know, follow a passion um, because when you do that, that creates a story that creates a little brand name for you. Uh, it, it tells something different, right? There's so many talented people Absolutely. out there and you want to make sure that you're a little bit different. Um, so kind of learn that, that lesson um, that, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to maybe try something your way. Um, but anyways, that story got out. And when I came back, I really, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. I knew I had this entrepreneurial spirit, um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, what I was passionate about was surfing. And I, I knew that I, you know, liked building businesses. So as chance would have it, and here's like the long winded story uh, to this. Um, Yvonne Chouinard. So um, Yvonne Chouinard is the founder of Patagonia. He was coming to our school to do a talk uh, with the students. And I thought, dang, like, man, he, here's this guy. I had read his book. He has, has this wonderful book, which you should read. It's called uh, Let My People Go Surfing. I'd read his book. I'd studied, you know, um, Yvonne Chouinard's story, which was basically, uh, you know, him being the reluctant business person, um, you know, always built Patagonia to fuel other passions. And eventually it became, you know, one of the biggest brands in the world. So I said, man, I got to meet this dude. Um, he's coming to our school. So I turned out, I, I met uh, Yvonne Chouinard, got to have a conversation with him, learn a little bit more about Patagonia. But in process, and you never know who you're going to meet along the way, I met a professor and this professor was super fired up on this new program that they were bringing uh, to our school. They were piloting it. Um, it was, you know, in pilot at Stanford, at Harvard, and I think Cal Berkeley, and in our school, uh, Dahazi University in Nova Scotia, Canada. And um, very unique program, and it was all around building technology startups. It was on, if you've ever read the Steve Blank, Steve Blank methodology um, on building lean uh, companies, right? You've got your startup yes, yes. canvas. This yes. was what the whole course was about. Um, yes. So he said, hey, like you've got this really interesting story. You should sign up for my course this fall um, on building technology startups. And I'm like, dang, that sounds really cool. Anyways, that class consumed me that fall. Um, we had to build our own company, ended up actually, you know, launching uh, a company in that class with a couple other co-founders. Um, after that, company um, really 
failed fast because that's the goal of it. So that company failed fast. I ended up meeting the folks over at Affinio and they said, hey, you know, why don't you come along side of us? We're about to launch here. We'd love for you to be our first hire. And so that's kind of what kicked me into this path on, on startups and building companies. And so, yeah, I would say like the number one uh, story is like, you know, take time to explore, um, you know, have a little bit of a different story. And then when you find something that you really love, like dive into it head first. And I can tell you uh, the, the Affinio journey too, and what I ended up doing there in a second, if you like, but um, that was like, that was how we got to that point in, in my career. I Absolutely really love, love I really love how you, you said, try things and go explore. I think that's su- such an undervalued element to sparking these creative elements or maybe your next path and uncovering something you never even imagined. Um, there was a really great book by Alan Le- uh, Lightman, and it's called In Praise of Wasting Time. And it's that, you know, to these to surfing or going for a walk to most people seems like such a waste of time. Like, oh, what are you getting done walking? But to those that understand the power of that freedom and, and actually detaching from the work, it is a, it's like a superpower once you see it in a new light. And it's an incredible thing. I love that you, you said, you know, go explore. That's so resonates. Oh, Taylor, I like could not agree with you more. I actually, um, I wish you could see my, my calendar and what it looks like. And it's, you know, stacked top to bottom, but my part of my morning routine. So I, uh, I live a block from the beach and I actually block it on my, uh, my calendar. So every morning I've got this two hour block um, where I do go surfing. I wake up early, um, you know, I go through my emails, I do some phone calls, um, start on whatever I'm working on for the day. But I always come back when after my serve and I always have like these amazing ideas and and then like nobody can get in my way because I've got um, I've got these things that I just want to like go tackle. And so then I have a little bit of free thinking time after that. But it's amazing if you like step back from something that you're working on, kind of have a little bit of time for that. I don't know, that little hamster in the very back of your brain to run. You always come back with these amazing ideas. So I think, yeah, um, the time and space to do that, um, however you can carve it out is, is really important. And it's, it's hard. It is a, it is a skill. I don't get it every day. Um, sometimes I have to book over, over that meeting, it's, but, uh, <laughs> overall it's very, very important to, to the creative process. Yes. That's for sure. Absolutely. Very interesting. So you stumbled upon, uh, you know, team at Affilio, you were, uh, you know, front runner, you know, wearing different hats, firefighting with customers, having coffee shops, uh, coffee table conversations, closing some deals. And then tell us a little bit about that part of your journey that lets you jump into a CS role and how big of an impact it made onto who you are today. You know, of course, you know, everybody knows uh, what you have achieved afterwards uh, in the CS space. Yeah, so we had a really awesome founding team at at Affinio. And um, the CEO, Tim Burke, he's, you know, one of my best friends uh, to this day. And he probably gave me like so much or way too much um, creative latitude to just go and and build um, this business. Um, And we were figuring out along the way. Um, But they, Tim uh, and the other uh, co-founder, Stephen, you know, they had young families at home. Um, they were building this company from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I was, um, 
you know, the, the young guy who could live in a suitcase could do uh, and be where, wherever um, we needed to be as a company. So I moved down to New York City. Um, at that point, it was like, it was just wireframes. Um, we had a, you know, we had a product, we had a pitch deck, um, but it was very, very malleable, right? We, we could change it and we did. And so I was the person who could, you know, tie up their shoes in the morning, get on the subway and then like run up and down uh, Manhattan talking to every ad agency that would let me in the door, um, you know, all of the brands. And we tested and we iterated and finally, yeah, we had a product and um, it was a pretty darn good product. It's pretty cool. You could tell there was real product market fit in the agency world. And so then, um, <laughs> then ran a little bit more and sold. So sold, mm -hmm. sold, sold. Um, actually, there's a funny story in that. Um, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not American. Um, I'm from Canada originally. And I met my wife actually weekend number one in New York city. And what a I was to meet your wife. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Weekend number one in New York city. I meet my wife. I've got this, um, you know, this product that we're trying to sell anyways, to get, uh, the visa for me to stay more than three months in the States, uh, as a company, we had to be doing a certain amount of business. And I forget what it is. I think it was like maybe 20 K it's not a lot, but you can then get a, a visa as a trading partner for, a. Um, you know, a, an owner of a company. Um, so anyways, I said, dang, like we, we got to go to, go to work here. We got to sell. Um, and so once we had a little bit of product market fit, I just like worked my butt off so that I could, uh, could you know, so that we could, we could sell so that we had some traction so that we could say, yes, we were a business trading with American companies doing trade with the United States of America and uh, anyways, sold well past that, got the visa and, um, you know, fast forward uh, a couple of years, we've got two little, two little girls and happily married. And, and uh, so, yeah, you, you got to keep selling is the, is the lesson there. Anyways, <laughs> um, after that, we, we had all these customers. And the thing that I fell in love with, the thing, um, and like it is incredibly, incredibly rewarding to, to sell. When you close a deal, um, you know, a deal, you know, like, dude, there's, there's no better feeling. There's a real high that comes from that. Um, but beyond that, I loved the connections that I was making with the customers that we served. And it was like so empowering to have seen something from like build to customers getting value out of that. And our software was used to like win these big pitches. So I got to work on uh, pitches with, you know, huge agencies that I like, you know, had read about in Fast Company. And we won deals with like Coca-Cola and Spotify. Like there was this one year where, you know, I was always in the war room, just, you know, helping, helping these companies win these uh, these pitches for some of the biggest brands in the world. So that was so cool. Um, and that's what I loved. I loved helping the customers find value and I love seeing the outcome. And so then actually, um, you know, one of the other early um, founders in the company Affinio was like, hey, like, you know, you're doing great at selling, but um, we have all these customers and they're coming out for renewal. Um, we kind of got to figure this out. Uh, here's the book. It was this book, uh, Customer Success. You've probably all read it um, by Nick Mehta. And uh, you should read this. Uh, here's a couple blog posts. Like your new job is to figure out customer success. We've got to renew all these customers. So uh, his name was Artie. I always thank Artie 
uh, to this day to introducing me to customer success. And yeah, it turns out it was the perfect fit because it, you know, I think great customer success probably sits between sales, between the customer and actually between product, right? Because you're the source of understanding, um, uh, you know, the ins and outs of your customer, right? And so it's a it's an incredible place to sit in the organization. Um, I was happy that already turned me on to customer success because it's been a, a journey um, in itself of, of just getting to know this incredible space. Mm-hmm. Great, interesting. So, you know, part of that reason that uh, your co-founding team puts you as a front runner on the customer success as a VP of customer success was, Probably the same reason that you had, you've been really working hands-on with customers already. So you had all the relationships built and there is nobody else on the team, even if they had one uh, that can take that, that mission uh, <laughs> besides you. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe Taylor to go back to like, what it, what is a lesson in it? It was just like, you know, whatever company you join, be like, be painfully helpful, do whatever it takes. Um, and, you know, there are certain times in your life when you can do that. And for me, like, you know, it, all I wanted to do was build this company. And so I was willing to do um, whatever it, it, whatever it whatever took, it takes. you know, cram myself in a suitcase and, and fly to wherever on a whim. Um, yeah. So that, that's probably the lesson is just like when you, when you know that there's a great opportunity in front of you and you're passionate about it, um, you know, there's, there's certain times when you, yeah, you really want to ride that wave. Um, so I just like went all in and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I did. It was incredibly, um, I would say like foundational and, and really formed a big part of um, what I'm able to do today. And, and Great. tying and- that back into a little bit on the sports end too, you see, you know, the, you see the really great teams and then you see the teams that are just legendary and the difference comes down to is, are you all in? And like all in is waking up Christmas morning, like Kobe Bryant would do to go shoot hoops while everyone else is unwrapping gifts. And it's like, it comes down to that principle, this mentality that it's all or nothing, regardless of outcome, it's the journey that you'll learn the most from. And if you have that perspective and you're just going all in, then there's, really nothing bad that can come out of it as long as you have that kind of a perspective. And I, and I love that. Oh, oh man, Taylor, we got to go back to that in a second. Cause I do have a story there um, on, on, yeah, being part of teams and, and the place uh, on a go team. For it. Go, in the, you go, go for it. Go in Go for it. Yeah. Go for Should it. Should we go into it? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So, okay. So Affinio ends um, or Finio continues on. They were actually acquired uh, in 2021, um, but I knew that maybe my run there was um, was coming to an end. Um, you know, there was there was other things that I wanted to experience in my career, and one of those things is like I wanted to be a part of like a Silicon Valley startup that was like growing rapidly. Um, you know, I was living in New York at the time and I loved the New York ecosystem. It's it's really a great place to build uh, a business, but San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Um, you know, if you, if you're passionate about something, it's like if you're if you're a surfer, you want to be on the North Shore surfing uh, the biggest waves and the best waves in the world. You want to be, um, you know, in in the place where most of the action is happening. So I knew that I had to get to uh, Silicon Valley, and I knew that if I was in Silicon Valley, I wanted to be part 
of uh, just a team that was was growing like crazy. And so what I did was for for six months, um, I, I set out on a job search and I set up Crunchbase and I got an alert. Every company that raised a Series A, um, I got an alert and I spent time diligence, diligencing them, uh, researching what what the company was all about, who the co-founders were, listening to podcasts of that co-founder, reading blogs on them. And then there was a couple that came across my desk that I thought, dang, like this is really, really cool. And one of those companies was actually, um, was Motive. At this point, uh, it was a pretty early stage company, um, but they had all of these free users and all of these free users were on this app um, and they were all giving super positive reviews. And I was like, dang, okay, this is really cool. Customers like this, um, they were like less, when I started talking to them, they were less than a million dollars in ARR. Um, but there was actually this government mandate coming that would require uh, these customers who absolutely love this company um, to actually purchase something from the company. And I thought to myself, oh man, if these two things explode or kind of come together, this is, uh, this is going to be a thing. So I reached out to the co-founders, like made an effort um, to sell myself to them as somebody who could help you know, bring their business to the, the next level. Um, so yeah, joined, joined Motive. That was a dream come true and that it gave me the opportunity to move out to San Francisco um, to join this company, which at this point, um, and it wasn't hyper growth, um, but had the real potential uh, to be that. And I, I would say, like, if I like just bookend that first part of the story to go back to your your question on teams or your idea on teams there, um, you know, I think there's a lot of great players out there. But I think if you're a great player, um, you really want to be on a great team, right? If you you know go through any Hall of Fame list, um, you know, the Kobe Bryant's, let's say, of the world, they're great basketball players um, on their own, but they're great because they won championships, right? And so you really want to make sure that, yeah, you you pick the winners. And when you you find them, you're loyal, deeply loyal to that team. And, um, you know, you, you, you make sure that you win championships together. Um, and so I like to say, like, you know, all, by, all boats rise with the rising tide. And um, you definitely want to, like, be on the right boat. And if you're, um, you know, if you've got something special to give, um, that's, that's, that's even better. Right. So, um, and you know, and I think teams matter a lot more than, than individual players do. Um, but the only way to be a great individual, uh, player is to make sure that you're on a winning team. I was, was right. going to echo that. I was going to echo that, that like, yeah, you have the Kobe Bryant's, but it's the people around them that make them and ele allow them to be elevated to the level they are. And obviously their open-mindedness and their God-given, you know, talents and abilities, but it really is the ecosystem around them that drive them and push them and give them that motivation and that next step to actually level up their game, their personally, professionally, whatever that be. And John, I'm so glad you touched on this mandate that was initiated and then that really sparked this hyper growth stage. Can you walk us through a little bit? What were some of those growing pains? Because you, you went from something that you didn't have to like prepare for and then, oh shit, like now you have to like start locking in now game time. Talk us through what were those pains like and what challenges you faced in, in that specific and stage. You had, you probably had around 
three million, more than three million customers in about a span of six months. Is it right? Like how big of a challenge that was? I mean, not not on the customer acquisition side, they're just coming. It was kind of a must to have technology for them. However, yeah. to make sure you on, onboard them and make sure they realize value, you adopt them in the best means and you have a resource plan for in that quick succession, how big of a challenge that was? It was such a challenge. Like I almost forget about it. It's like, you know, when you're like, you go through a traumatic experience, you kind of like block it out. Um, so I like, I definitely miss detail because we were totally running uh, on adrenaline at that point in time. Um, but yeah, so we, we, it wasn't 3 million customers, um, but we did grow from like a million dollars in ARR to $60 million in ARR in the span of about six months. It was like hyper growth, like many, like, you know, uh, among the top 1% of all uh, growing companies ever. And so how did we do that? Um, we did plan for it. You know, we knew that, you know, things were really, really ramping up. Um, we also knew that the wave of renewals would come rather quickly, right? When you go from having no customers to having a whole bunch of customers in a very short period of time, and they're all on uh, annual contracts, you're going to get like this bubble in uh, your renewal dates, right? There's going to be a certain month or two when everybody has to renew. And so I think strategically what we did was... Uh, was pretty smart. So what we did is we had this initial team. Quickly, we learned that, okay, one team was going to specialize in onboarding. One team was going to specialize in renewals. We would kind of carve out time and space for one team to think a little bit longer term focus and one team to be in the here and now of this crazy mandate uh, that was happening and, and just fueling our growth. And so with the onboarding team, um, you know, when you have that many customers coming in, you have to self-serve in a lot of ways. So we had a number of self-serve flows. Um, but then we also had this team that was, you know, just proactively reaching out to, uh, to every single customer, um, watching their feature use, um, watching um, things that they were doing in the platform and just proactively reaching out. It was like, it was like, um, I don't know. It was like if the there was like a king tide and all of the starfish got washed onto the beach. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the tide went out really quickly. And there's all these starfish on the beach. Basically, this was the team that was just like picking up every starfish and just like tossing it back into the ocean, right? Just like whatever touch we could do to make them successful as they came to the door. Um, so there was one team that was rather reactive, all about um onboarding and then another team that was a little bit longer term focused and so we you know pulled aside uh, two or three of the top performers and said okay you know officially you are now a customer success manager here's your book of business um you know october november december next year going to be really busy there's a lot of renewals so let's get ahead of that and that's when we were able to set up more standard customer success practices we assumed that they were onboarded there was some data behind that now they could talk about that value conversation, um, you know, how they're using uh, the platform to make sure that they're getting to the, the end state of why they signed up. Cool, cool. And talking about stuff, because we've had a lot of fleet management softwares before coming up and sharing their stories, and of course, not as big as, as what if. Uh, however, so, I mean, talking about these complex accounts, um, you know, fleets with 3,000 trucks, you know, mm -hmm. companies, 
and uh, with with that big of an infrastructure. How how challenging was that in terms of uh, not just the onboarding and integration and training part, but also making sure they are well looked after uh, by account managers or maybe uh, senior customer success managers, and how you stay on top of the data. You know, there were, I'm, I'm sure there were tools like Gainsight. I, I know a lot of my friends worked at Keep Trucking, including uh, some that you know too. And I saw them banging their head out of the nights. Uh, trust me not, I, I just live right across uh, where you guys were located here in the capital. So at that point, I was wondering like how challenging it can be for not just the individual, but as 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 an ecosystem, as an entity to onboard a, a customer as, as such a big uh, infrastructure. Uh, and staying on top of data. So there were tools around it. Like, how did you, uh, you know, make that possible? Yeah. So, so I think the thing that's important to remember is our customer base. Um, you know, the big enterprise customers didn't happen right away. And so, what was our like our just strategy um, going in to this market? So. First at Motive, what we did, and at that point it was called Keep Trucking, what we did is we actually really employed like what I would describe as like a bottoms up SaaS play, right? It was a lot like uh, how Slack went to market. In other words, the end users, these truck drivers, these are the ones with the free app. Um, they're the ones who actually pulled us in to bigger companies. And actually like, you know, if you look at kind of the size of companies as, as we went on, initially we were very much selling into the SMB. Individual truckers would pull us into the small company that they were working for. Um, but that started to stack on top of each other. And so lucky for us, you know, during um, that period of like crazy hyper growth at one to 60, we didn't have three, 4,000 truck fleets coming in the door. And so it's a little bit more like piecemeal. Eventually we got there. So we first deployed this bottoms up SaaS play that pulled us in to a lot of SMBs, a lot of mid-sized businesses. It was then those SMBs and mid-sized businesses that kind of created some buzz uh, around us. And eventually that pulled us up into enterprise. And that's a play that continues um, to this day in, in, in that company um, to really growing into the enterprise. You know, the mm. difference between serving SMB customers and serving enterprise customers is like night and day. Um, you know, they're, they're almost, you know, at their core, there's a lot of similarities, right? You want customers to, to see value. Um, but in practice, the how of, you, you know, doing that is very, very different. And so in SMB, you know, you're trying to find like that MVP of value. You're trying to get them to that that value point as SaaS as possible. You're leveraging um, your automation, you're leveraging you know, product-led uh, growth tactics, um, you're leveraging people if it makes sense, right? If the cost of customer acquisition um, and the lifetime value of that customer makes sense, you're leveraging people. And then as you get into enterprise and as you go out market, um, you know, the cost of acquisition is pretty darn high. Uh, for an enterprise customer, uh, but the hope is that the lifetime value of them is going to be incredible, right? They're going to be with you for, you know, enterprise customers, they don't want to pull you out. When they pick a solution, yeah. like they yes. are picking a solution for a while. And so yeah. as a result, yeah, you know that, um, you know, as long as you don't mess up, the LTV is going to be pretty long. And so you really deploy like a full core 
press uh, on, on customers like that, where you have professional services teams who may have to help build out certain integrations. You have your uh, onboarding team to make sure that um, you know, all of the end users, and there's many, many different end users are trained well. Um, you have customer success managers who are taking the plan that the AE laid out and uh, turning that into practice, right? And so that CSM is first like building great relationships across the organization, making sure that um, we know all the value that all of the different stakeholders hope to get out of it. They're working with the onboarding team and with professional services to maybe build out some extra roadmap things, those customization points that you, you actually need in a lot of cases to sell enterprise customers. And then, um, you know, they have a, a little bit more time to do that as well. Also, when you, you know, you, you sign a million dollar customer, $2 million customer, you're not signing, you know, a million dollars for, for a year. It's generally a two, three, four, sometimes five year contract. And so, you, you, you know, you're putting in place all of the things and the roadmap is a lot, uh, is a lot longer. So it's less like, you know, mm -hmm. point and click. It's more, okay, we're in a partnership together. Um, we're going to build, uh, build alongside of each other here. And it's going to take us, you know, uh, maybe even a year to deploy. And I think like enterprise is a really, really cool place you know, play like heck, if you even, you know, if you go on and you can read all of the data on it because they're a public company, um, Palantir, you know, they're a huge company uh, with a lot of enterprise customers, you know, and they're talking like, you know, five, 10, $20 million customers, um, you know, that can, that can play out really good. So enterprise, you know, huge LTV uh, is there. Cost of customer acquisition is very high. Um, and so when you get them, um, there's a lot more resources that you just put against those customers. Mm. Oh, cool. I, I, I know that you had a team at Nashville, very smart team at Nashville and in the SF2. Great. So now we'll just move towards how like we can have some of your opinions on some of the industry trends uh, more in, in the CS space. So how do you see this moving forward in the next five years? Like, let me let me elaborate like there are tools like catalyst widely having data-driven approach making sure uh you you take care of your csm bandwidth right from day one you make sure you invest in data right from day one uh how do you see it playing uh, a role a vital role thinking of companies as i'm sure you're uh founding your own uh sv partners uh, as well, helping early stage uh, SaaS businesses with post-sales operations. How do you see it uh, creating a role? Uh, it's in, is there a still gap uh, incorporating tools or incorporating uh, data-driven approaches uh, towards making uh, you know CS operations more digital? Yeah, totally. I, I'm happy that you brought up um, um, the new uh, the new venture fund that I founded. Um, success venture partners. Um, but to go back to like the why now on success venture partners and the, you know, the why now on um, maybe what's happening in, in customer success and what the trends are. Um, I think like, you know, if we look at 2023, 2023 is going to be the year of customer success and, and beyond, right? Um, I think there's a big shift actually that's happening 
overall. Um, and I think it plays into how people are building customer success teams and maybe where the future of customer success uh, lives. So let's start at like, just like, you know, what's happening right now. Okay, if we think about the last couple of years, you know, we've been in this period where um, interest rates have actually been pretty low. There's been a lot of capital that's flown into a lot of, let's say, um, B2B SaaS companies, a lot of like point solutions overall, right? All of a sudden this has changed, right? And budgets are tighter. We see layoffs going. Um, and there's a, there's a couple important things in that. So number one, a lot of companies are doing uh, less or more with less people, right? So they have less people to do more. And this is a big trend here. And you see a lot of SaaS products getting a lot of pressure put on them. You have less people, you're gonna have less seats. Uh, all of a sudden um, that translates right into your NRR number, right? Uh, right in, into your GRR number. Um, so your net revenue retention and your gross revenue retention. On the net, a lot of companies benefited over the last couple of years because more and more people were joining companies, you add more seats to your SaaS product, and all of a sudden your NRR goes up, right? Um, but now this year, this isn't going to be a thing. Um, because companies are saving or trying to save money, they're also looking across their stack and going, do we really need this? Like, you know, could we do this with something else? Um, so as a result, what you start to see is like customer success actually becomes very, very valuable in that mix. Number one, you, you need to make sure that you're one of those valuable tools. Um, number two, um, the source of insight to make your tool super valuable, if it's not valuable already, is the customer success team, right? Because they have insights with your customers, so you got to build for your customers. Um, and number three, um, you know, if you're not completely on it, even if you are providing value, you might be actually one of those platforms who um, has a reduction in seats or maybe cancels entirely because other people in the organization don't know the value. And so, like. This is happening right now. And actually, because of this macro shift that's happening, customer success is like a really, really big um, part of, of solving the problem for, for a lot of companies. In fact, um, you know, if you if you just read job boards, there's more openings in 2023 for uh, CCO, Chief Customer Officer, than there was in in 2022 and yes. 2021, right? So this is like, is a really big thing. A lot of companies are waking up to the fact that, hey, wow, we really need to lean into our customers. There's real pressure here. And uh, this elevates the position of customer success. So just mm -hmm. overall, like I think now is the time for customer success. I think um, customer success is like totally up on a pedestal, right? Right now, as far as its importance. Um, and what are some other big trends in that? So number one, if you're like selling into the enterprise, um, there's major investment in, in customer success teams because it's a lot harder to acquire a new logo in, in 2023 than it was in 2021. Um, so enterprise teams investment there. On the long tail, there's a lot of investment in what's called um, product-led growth. Right. And some people yes, on yes. the post sale. Yeah. Right. So this is a big thing. But the the reason behind that is, you know, there's a macro force, right? You can't do as many things with people uh, as you like to. People are expensive and um, you have to make sure that your product 
fills in those gaps and helps uh, your customers see value very, very quickly. So on the long tail of it, product-led growth is a major trend um, as well. And then I would say like, um, maybe like the third trend overall, and it's, it's less obvious, is um, customer success in areas where um, maybe they've experienced the, the value of, of technology a little bit less than, than, than other areas, right? So, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of um, startups selling tools to other startups, right? Um, what's happening now, though, is, um, you know, there's this mini or this recession happening in technology land, but the rest of like, let's call it the physical economy, what's happening in, in the rest of the economy is like, there's actually still growth. There's still job growth in um, other sectors outside of technology. And so what we're starting to see is these companies are still spending money on technology. They still plan to spend money on technology. And so there's a lot of startups and there's a lot of companies and Motive was one of them building for these companies or these industries that are still on pen and paper, still on legacy technology solutions. And so there's a real trend um, for these people to be, or these companies to be introduced to customer success um, to the first time and real value there because you're actually taking, um, you know, companies and, and, you know, services that, you know, maybe haven't seen like best in class technology yet and helping them along. And there's a big gap to solve there. So another trend is just customer success in, in areas that are uh, traditionally been underserved by technology. So to summarize that, that. Um, yeah, investment in, um, you know, customers right now um, where, you know, people can make that. So enterprise, uh, enterprise customer success, very big theme. Number two, product-led, uh, you know, customer success is very important. It's all part of that. Do more with less that everybody's going through. And number three is um, customer success, serving customers who are maybe in less, um, let's call it tech-penetrated spaces of the economy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's not a lot of awareness uh, when it comes to CS operations uh, around relevant technology that they can use to empower their operations to elevate uh, their growth and unlock growth for the existing customer base. Just like a lot of uh, very like teams, uh, teams like Gong, like we spoke yep. to leadership at Gong, we spoke to leadership at Absolar. They are operating at a different level. And when they project themselves back seven, eight years, when they were as small as 10 people, they still think that they still need to invest in data, you know, and that data should be uh, should be translatable across all teams, specifically customer-facing teams, these front runners, uh, and, and that should drive action. And a lot of SaaS platforms, and then we explored like uh, CS ops at scale, and then we explored CS ops at with startups like YC, Techstars, all these startups. We spoke to more than uh, 55 CS teams. The conclusion that I saw is, you know, they're willing to invest in data, but their data is not, even that is provided to the CS teams, uh, customer success managers, but that is not driving action. Yep. They're on top of those data points, but that data point, those the data metrics are not driving action. They're not giving the next best action, or maybe it's not translating uh, any meaningful touch point that they can drive conversations on, or maybe they can they can define or they can pinpoint any kind of uh, customer success 
uh, metric may be onboarding, retention, adoption. So there are so many things. And as you mentioned, that there's a, there's a gap on awareness too. You know, it's it's less penetrated uh, in the CS uh, in the CS world uh, up till to this day, uh, and and that's probably why people like yourself would come into play and they'll they'll create awareness like starting off uh, you know platforms like SV partners working from the ground up with the teams you know guiding them and making sure they invest in the right things and they're making the right strategic decisions. So tell us more what you're cooking at SV partners, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we call it success venture partners. Um, and it's, it's to, you know, really support customers with those true uh, shifts that we're seeing in the market right now. Um, so my backstory is, you know, even going back to, um, you know, how I found my way into motive is to always understand what's happening in, in the venture ecosystem, right? That's a big part of building uh, a company. You want to make sure that um, you're, plugged into what's happening on the VC side. So for the past um, six, seven years, I've been angel investing uh, on the side, um, been a scout with index ventures, and also been advising a lot of companies. And so now um, what I'm finding is because companies are putting such pressure on customer success, you know, great founders are really seeking out, um, you know, thought leaders in customer success. Um, I get a ton of inbound from founders saying, hey, we're, you know, we just got our first two or three customers. Now we need to support them. Um, you know, how do we do this? And so um, basically the thesis of the fund is that um, if you support founders in supporting their customers, um, you know, you'll provide outsized return for, for your LPs. And so that's the name of the game is to support companies through uh, customer success, um, even at the earliest stages of company building, um, invest in them with, um, you know, customer success as a resource and also capital, and then fast forward, um, and, and those companies will become the most valuable companies. So that's what we're building here. Um, I think it's like super, super cool. Um, very excited about it. Even when you, you know, to, to take it back to the, the NRR conversation, if you map out, uh, NRR, and the enterprise value, and you draw a correlation between all the companies that uh, IPO, at point of IPO, there is like this perfect, um, you know, R squared correlation between high NRR and high enterprise value. In other words, uh, the companies with the highest net revenue retention also have the highest uh, enterprise value multiple. Absolutely. And so yes. um, that's that's the goal here. The goal is to support um, yeah, founders at the earliest stages of company building with customer success and ensure that, you know, 10 years down the road, uh, they are those companies with, with the, the most valuable companies in, in the world. So that's what we're building. Really excited. Um, but yeah, it's called Success Venture Partners. And we're going to do it. We're going to add a valuable component to the customer success ecosystem uh, and the startup community at large. Because kind of, like I said, the, the time is now for customer success. Absolutely. And it takes it takes to be John Gleason <laughs> to do it, to want it so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
for today, this is pretty much all. We'll come up with some more brainstorming, some more discussion points, maybe three, two months later, whenever you find time. It was real nice uh, meeting you, uh, John. I cannot say it enough. Awesome. Well, I'm totally honored um, to join you both today. It was a ton of fun. Your energy is infectious. And yeah, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, John. Have a and go catch some waves for us. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. All right. Take care. Have a good rest of your day, John. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so very much for staying with us on the episode. Please share your feedback at adil at hyperengage.io. We definitely need it. Uh, we will see you next time with another guest on the stage with some concrete tips on how to operate better as a customer success leader and how you can empower engagements with some building some meaningful relationships. We qualify people for the episode just to make sure we bring the value to the listeners. Do reach us out if you want to refer any CS leader. Until next time, goodbye and have a good rest of your day.